Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Ms. Wolf, you're back again this year at the International Festival of Arts and Ideas in New Haven. Tell us about this year's work. Well, as usual, it's a dance opera performance art monologue orchestral circus lecture. This story takes place in a small African village of Papa and Ghana, the only place on Earth where people live in complete harmony with crocodiles. But everything changes when a decommissioned sex bot from Japan comes to the village to live out its final days in peace. Uh, so the themes are? Uncanny Valley. Disruption as a theory of change. Cost, differentiation, escape from the matrix, salt as a metaphor. And what is the title? Oh my god, one of the crocodiles is loose. They told me I should use fake crocodiles, but I was committed to the energy of the piece, but now, oh my god, so many people are going to die. Isn't that kind of long for a title? It's not a title, it's a reality. Oh, geez, the interviewer guy is dead, but... Art is disruption, right? So this is probably good in some way. We're live from the study on Chapel Street in New Haven, and now it's time to meet the real people from the International Festival of Pancakes, Art, and Ideas. And now his one-man tribute to Senor Wences opens tonight, Colin McEnroe. All right, we're live from the study in New Haven on Chapel Street. Uh, and if you live in New Haven and you're hearing my voice and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you gotta feel free to come on down visit us here at the study. Uh, this is all part of the, art, uh, the International Festival uh, of Pancakes, uh, Arts, and Ideas. And uh, we have a wonderful panel. For, you know what? It doesn't feel like I'm at a, a festival right now. Will Hosehauser, give, give me like 30 seconds of uh, accordion music so I feel like I'm at a festival. Now we're talking. How about a hand for Will Holzhauser? He's going to do much more than that as the day goes on. We are live here at the site. Now I feel like I'm in a, that feels more like a festival now. That's Will Holzhauser, who is, uh, among many other things, I mean, he's a solo artist in his own right, but he's also the accordionist for Regina Carter, who Mary Lou is playing here tonight. This is Mary Lou Oleski. She's the head and founder and everything else uh, of the International Arts and Pancakes and Ideas Festival. She's, uh, Regina Carter's here tonight, right? She sure is, yeah. and she's here with her project, Southern Comfort. That sounded a little Slavic to me. I think yeah. Regina's going to be a little bit more rooted in American tradition and we're really excited to have her. Um, we've been uh, pulling together work around the theme, transformation and tradition, and I think you'll see that in Regina's work tonight. I mean, she's a fabulous jazz violinist, but we get to travel her heritage journey with her in music, which is really exciting. So uh, let me tell you about, a little bit about who's... We're trying to do an art festival for you right here. If you can't get down to New Haven, although you really should at some point in the next couple of weeks, we'll do a little Arts and Ideas Festival for you right here at the study on the air in an hour. So with us is Jack Hitt, contributing writer to the New York Times Magazine, author of many books, including most recently, Bunch of Amateurs, A Search for the American Character. Um, is that the most recent book? Yes. That is right. the most recent book. Uh, he, he's already done his thing. He's already, uh, uh, we'll, we'll tell you about it, he's done his presentation here at the festival. Chris Arnott covers theater and arts uh, in Connecticut for several publications. He's the New Haven theater jerk. 
It's his choice of Appalachians, uh, not mine. Uh, and he probably sees, you probably see about as much Arts and Ideas Festival stuff year in and year out as any human being I know. I've I mean, been, I, I'm told I'm the only journalist who's actually covered every one of them, which is 19 now. Yeah. So, yes. So you've built up. Gorman Bouchard is here, filmmaker Gorman Bouchard. Uh, you'll be meeting him in just a second. If you listen to our show a lot, you may already know him. We have other guests for you as we go along here. You'll be meeting John Collins, the artistic director of the Elevator Repair Service, Adele Myers, who's a New Haven-based choreographer, and the artistic director, fittingly, of Adele Myers and Dancers. We'll be talking about their projects as well. Did I leave anybody out, Betsy? I think that's all of our guests. Is anybody else here a guest and I haven't said your name? No. All right, so I think, I think we're good. I think we sort of, Jack, I'm gonna sort of get you to kick things off because you also have participated in a lot of these. In fact, Jack and I both participated a few years ago in an arts and ideas uh, project that we were not told in advance that it involved full frontal male nudity. Not ours, fortunately. At least not mine. I didn't go to your performance. <laughs> no, no, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, my performance was safe. Right. It was Chautauqua. For me. Chautauqua. We were both Chautauqua, in Chautauqua. Yes. Yeah, we each had to give like a little brief kind of history of some yeah. kind, right? In the middle of this uh, play. Yeah. And then this guy got, you saw that, right? He yeah, took his clothes off of me. Yeah, yeah, that was one yeah. of the great things. It was. It was. Theater. Actually, it really was great. I mean, not the guy getting naked. I mean, the play itself, actually. I was, you know. Um, actually, I, I, would, I, I would argue that that was one of the great moments when total full frontal male nudity totally fit in with the play, it did, right? It did. It yeah, totally and worked. It uh, he was worked. awkward, like on purpose, right. doing it, and he was playing the guitar. Yeah. I mean, it was everything for everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, he left it all on the field, as they say in sports. So, uh, so that was good. So, Jack, tell us, you actually gave, um, uh, you were part of the, the ideas segment. Right. Right. So what was your idea? So uh, a, a couple of years ago, I, I wanted to, when I was writing this book, Bunch of Amateurs, I wanted to find out sort of what was happening inside the car industry. Um, you know, we've heard all this talk about electric cars and new forms of energy and all this kind of stuff. And I'm a South, I'm a South Carolinian, and, and one of the things that I did as a kid to save a lot of time was not learn anything about cars mm -hmm. or the Civil War. And this, <laughs> this gave me a lot of time to pursue other interests. Um, and then suddenly now I found myself wanting to convert a, a combustion engine car to an all-electric car, which if you look out that window, it's that black cabrio parked across the street. You'll see a 220-volt plug sitting where the VW emblem used to be. But anyway, so I did that as a way to sort of you know, find out what is happening inside the car industry now. And what did you find out? Well, um, since this is a festival of uh, ideas and, mm. and uh, sort of, outer edge ideas. Um, one of the things that I discovered inside the car industry is that beyond the electric car business, the, the car industry is sort of in the business of taking the complete control of the car away from us. Mm -hmm. um, slowly but surely, there are all these sort of like innovations inside the car. Mm -hmm. There's this thing called autonomous emergency braking, which when you drive down the street in the future, and the very near future, you will think you're putting on the brake, mm -hmm. but the car has actually anticipated you're putting on the brake before you even got there and is already doing it for you. Um, there are already, already all sorts of ways in which you've abandoned mm -hmm. the autonomy and, and control of the car while they have you thinking that you have control of the car. So I think this is like a, a, a huge sort of psychological um, uh, you know, revolution for Americans because we think of the car as sort of our horse. We're the cowboy. We're the or you know we're the astronaut in charge of this display panel, right? And mm -hmm. now, um, increasingly, what you know what they're finding, like with the Google car, mm -hmm. the completely you know non-controlled car, right? You have no control over a Google car, and the accident rates are much much less. Yeah. Right. 
Well, this is, I mean, it's sort of fundamental too to, to people's, I was listening to Mike Pesca's podcast the other day and he was saying, really they shouldn't call them automobiles right. because they're not automobiles. They traditionally haven't been automobiles. The very nature of, uh, of car ownership is car drivership. Right. And, and we may be transitioning out of that. That's a theme I want, we're gonna pursue to whatever extent we can elucidate a theme from all this incredibly disparate work. We're gonna be talking a lot today on this show about the encroachment of technology on everything. And also, the, I think, Mary Lou, at a festival like this, too, one of the things that does kind of bubble up is that whole question of, of technology versus live. When Adele's in here, I think we're going to talk, and John, talk a little bit more about it. But part of the idea of a festival like this one, obviously, is people see things live, right? Right. And I think increasingly they see things live and then they share them through social media. So the traffic that we had on the New Haven Green with 40,000 people out in front of Layla Hathaway and Ruben Sauter resulted in just a cacophony of Instagram and Twitter and all kinds of social media traffic. So we actually exist as a festival, both in media and in reality. And of course, we hope that uh, one drives the other. But I mean, you kind of hope that part of the idea of something like this, going to something like this, is to break out of the matrix. Everybody's kind of staring at their phones and their iPads and stuff like that. You kind of want them to be present and in the moment and not tweeting and Instagramming and, and exactly all that junk. and that's of course why um, you know pro projects like arguendo projects like the events which will be here next week that sets a community choir at the center of a really gripping play about the aftermath of a gun of gun tragedy mm -hmm. things like Reggie Wilson's fist and heel a performance group is doing Moses's a dynamic piece with lots of energy and lots of color letting us think about um, what it means to be uh, p people that move from place to place. What's our relationship to Moses? I mean, these are these are all things you do with warm bodies sitting next to you in a theater, thinking together, and not necessarily mm. remotely. But they do fuel one thing versus mm. another. One thing I want to talk about. I'm going to bring Gorman into the conversation in just a second. But before we do that, you know, all the, one of the questions I always have about a festival like this one, and Chris, you might be uniquely poised to, to begin this conversation. I'm usually uniquely poised. You are uniquely yes. poised. I can even tell from the way you're sitting that you're uniquely <laughs> poised. Um, is that is that notion of synergy? Like, does anything really happen that isn't simply everybody doing his or her thing and then getting out of town? Does it does any does it add up in any particular way? Is there cross pollination? Is there a sense that more is going on? I used to give it to the festival for like these these very general themes that they would place on the thing every year. Like this year's tradition and and. Transformation. 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 And there's always Is like a general thing? word yeah. and so that can hopefully encompass a lot of different stuff. Mm. But I've always been in favor of like, you know, ditch the theme and make it, it have it be a lot of different stuff. It does connect in very odd ways. And I I I, I was backstage at that Rubens Stuttered concert, which mm. by the way was a huge example of people being people and him moving tens of thousands of people with like a dramatic pause mm -hmm. or uh, I mean that guy worked a crowd like I've like I haven't seen on that scale like maybe ever um, so I mean very live very real um, but backstage there were the clowns from the, the you know who'd been in a pool on the green earlier mm -hmm. and there was Lemon Anderson who's a hip-hop performer with his family and kids mm -hmm. And they're all digging Ruben Sauter and Layla Hathaway, and in a in a real way, and talking amongst themselves. And they're all hanging out at each other's things, which is people don't realize, especially if you're a clown and you're not in makeup. Right. People don't realize those guys are everywhere. I kept yeah. running into them. Is anybody here right now a clown? Um, 
All right. I just want to make sure um, nobody's. So they do create this community, yeah. like behind the scenes and at the shows, that, that is very real. And when I'm at the stuff, I notice I, there's more connection than if you went to the whole subscription season at the Yale Rep, for instance. There's more like sim- synergy. Is that your word? Synergy. Yeah. Synergy is the word, yeah. Okay. You said that's not the theme. It's transformation. As a trend. I, didn't yeah. know. I didn't know it was transformation. <laughs> yeah, it's transformation and tradition. And the truth of the matter is that's just there to be a gateway for people to get a sense of what they might experience. And if you look at a lot of this work, it really is about where things come from and how it's tra- transformed about with things around us. But... We want people to find their own theme. We want people to find their own path. And, you know, the intersection of just audience and artist and thinker and whoever happens to be on the ground as part of what informs any theme or any experience. I found my own theme, actually, um, which is transportation, which even works uh, mm-hmm. alliteratively with yours. Um, because Jack Hitt's talk, I saw a musical theater reading about um, a Thai uh, teenager and a Native American teenager going on a road trip to Wisconsin. And uh, every, uh, transportation comes up a lot this year. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, just quickly, I'll, uh, I, I've been covering it this year for the New Haven Independent, which is an online thing. Mm-hmm. And I, for years, I've been looking to get back to doing like a diary-style coverage mm-hmm. of this thing because the festival is not in pieces. It's like this on, nonstop, continuous little bits and mm-hmm. you know, things here and there. And I'm finally back to that sort of coverage, and I'm thrilled. That's at the New Haven Independent website. Um, Jack, I think you know another part of this is all of us, well, many of us, wish that we had been part of one of the great scenes. You know, it was the Beats, you know, in Greenwich Village and in San Francisco, or one of the five different multidisciplinary uprisings in Montmartre or something like that. And and I'm not sure that stuff even happens anymore, just because people are a little bit more spread out. I mean, maybe you are part of this fabulous multidisciplinary New Haven arts and intellectual scene. Well, I'm going to tie that in with something that I brought up yesterday. Okay. Because a lot of the technology stuff that, that I was talking about yesterday, I had this sort of, I worked with these two metaphors. One is Thomas Edison, who was this sort of this flat-footed, perfunctory inventor who just invented things that people needed, and he was always thinking about markets. And then there was Nikola Tesla, right? Mm-hmm. Who was, he's our model for the mad scientist. He invented the death ray that was supposed to kill the Nazis in World War II. And, and uh, anytime you see a mad scientist on a television set, you should just whisper the words, Nikola Tesla, because, you know, we owe him that. But, but, <laughs> but one of the things that I found was that, that, uh, that a, a lot of real change, a lot of real technological change in the way it affects our lives actually happens in the sort of Edisonian mode. Mm-hmm. Really small, little tiny changes that add up to these big, massive changes in your lives. So I'm not sure, you know, the, the, these, these great sort of um, explosions of Tesla-like mm-hmm. uh, insight and, and revelation, that's the way we tell the story, right. I think, in some ways. I think we like Tesla because that's like, that's like the artistic version of what the reality is. And the reality is, like, this accumulation of like braking advances mm. and dr- steering advances mm. in the car, and then suddenly, once you add all those up, you have a completely new world. So it's a Thomas Kuhn kind of structure of scientific revolution. That's right. Plateau, and then something shoots up. Some, something completely changed. Or, or just uh, someone sent me this ad from uh, about 15 years ago of Radio Shack, and it was all these different appliances that you could buy. There was like a, a video camera and a recording machine and a scanner and a cell phone. And, all that. and someone pointed out, like, everything in that ad is now in your pocket in the iPhone. <laughs> you know, someone just slowly accumulated all those technologies and put them all in one place, and then that's the revolution. 
So, Gorman, we should, first of all, see what you're doing here. This is sort of like an add-on. Is, is it called the Day After Festival? What is this? Well, well it's uh, a bunch of New Haven filmmakers who had never met before all met for the first time in Missoula, Montana at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. And it was sort of interesting to be having to go there to meet New Haven filmmakers. And I started talking with Charles uh, Musser of Yale and saying, you know, maybe we should do something, you know, have a day of just mm. New Haven filmmakers showing our documentaries. And he said, let's see if we can add it on to Arts and Ideas. And they graciously allowed it. I get so sad when the festival's over. We just needed one more day. Yeah. And, so, and it's the Sunday after, uh, free admission, four feature films, and even a free barbecue. So, th so give us a sense of what the films are going to be. Is one of them is going to be one of your films? Yes, one of them is one of mine. Uh, the first film is called The Hill, which is about uh, the city basically doing what it, New Haven's always done, throwing poor people out of their houses to gentrify. Mm -hmm. uh, the second film is uh, Musser's film about Errol Morris, the famous documentarian. A documentary about a documentary filmmaker. Yes. Is there somebody making a documentary about the film that's about the documentary filmmaker? I'd heard that anyway. Uh, not, not that I know oh, of okay. yet. <laughs> it's a good idea. Maybe I'll do that next. Um, uh, the third film is Tatanka, which uh, Jacob Bricka looks at his father, who basically started out as a revolutionary uh, in the 60s with Joan Baez and all these people, and ends up selling insurance, and then just sort of goes a little bit off the deep end, and it's him coming to, to, to grips with his father. Mm -hmm. And mine is a rock and roll documentary, which is probably not a big surprise, about uh, Grant Hart, the famous... Uh, crazy drummer from uh, the band Husker Du, which is one of the big influential underground yeah. bands of the 80s. Um, and you know, as they're talking here, I don't know, do you, do you feel yourself latching on to any of the themes that they're talking about in terms of technology, transfer, transportation, transformation? Well, I, technology, I, I, I think that technology is... is enables us to make the films we're making today. 90% of the indie films that are made today would not be made if we, if we had to go back to film because mm. no one could afford it. You can now make a feature film for $25,000, $35,000. That's impossible if you're shooting on film. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it, it, it's completely, you know, but in, that's good and bad because you also have a lot of people who should not be making films that are <laughs> making films. But uh, it, it, it certainly allows, and the quality is breathtaking, especially when you're considering we're now making films for people to watch on their iPads. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, no one's really making films anymore for a 60-foot screen. Well, that's, that is sad, though. Isn't it sad? I mean, don't we feel bad about that? I, I don't because I hate the theater. I, I like watching movies at home. Really? I re yeah, I, I, because, well, I think the audience has ruined going to movies on a general basis. Yeah. Well, you know, hell, hell you know. is other people. Yeah, I get yeah, that. I don't but, mean film uh, festivals. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean film festivals where people are going to watch the movies, but the, the general audience on yeah. a Friday night is just unbearable. Do you guys all feel that way? Yeah, Jack. Are you talking about, like, you know, just people talking back to the screens? That are talking back to the screen, looking at their phones, talking, anything. It's like, I want pure... I, when I was watching, I, I'm the kind of guy who, if you are chewing your popcorn too loud, I will tell you to shut up. It's like, I want, I mean, if we're watching a movie at home, my wife wants to talk during the film, I'll let her talk, and then I'll say, okay, thank you, and now I rewind to where <laughs> she started talking. It's like, it's, I'm in church. Okay, well, I have a different question for you. So if, if we're democratizing all these media, right, everything, is, is that what this festival is about, is about trying to find some way to edit the masses of things out there that, that we then say, okay, this is important? How do you decide, of all these bazillions of $25,000 documentaries, which ones do you watch? I, I'll, 
Family <laughs> it's gonna sound funny. New York Times reviews. I I actually trust Friday New That's York Times. That's pretty old school now. I, and, and it's so top down for I, you. You're such yeah. a. Oh, I yeah, thought no, you but, were a rebel, and now you're leading the New York Times. I, New, York you Time, New York Times review will show tell me what's at least what's out, right. and what's you know, and whether or not there's a subject that I'm interested in. A lot of it has to do with the subject. I mean, like I I personally will never watch a, a documentary about cancer or something like that. But if it's like about some rock star, even if it's a rock star I don't care about, <laughs> I will watch it. You do realize that New York Times review are going to theaters to make this judgment. Yes, but they're also going to private screenings. <laughs> that is Where? true. Well, you know, Chris, one thing that I've encountered recently, and I, I don't think I've seen it before, and I, I am worried about it, at, at the Durang show that's at the Harper Stage Company right now, yeah, yeah. it's a very funny show. It gets a lot of laughs. The audience is very into it. There's a moment where um, this the kind of lovelorn sister gets a call from a possible suitor, her first ever... Have you seen the show? I know the play. I didn't yeah, yeah. see the so she's, a, she's, she's getting a call from a guy who met her at her party. She like, hasn't had a date in 30 years or something. And she's struggling about how to handle it. And you can hear some you know, excitement building up in the audience, which is fine. And suddenly, there's a little bit of a pause. And a guy in the audience said, do it. And the whole audience started laughing. And I thought, I don't, I don't know that I want that. Right. You know? Well, in some... In some genres, you don't get a choice. I mean, if you go to some of the black gospel musicals that come oh, yeah. to the Schubert, right. that's what you expect and that's what you get. And if you're not part of that crowd screaming along, you're right. really not doing having an experience. Live theater, uh, well, it's been interesting seeing uh, this, actually, the clown show on the green this weekend mm -hmm. because they had seating inside the thing where you got splashed by the clowns. Right. And then there was seating outside the thing where they, those people were being a little rowdier. They were... Mm -hmm. Filming, they were talking back. Clown shows uh, are not a church. Quite and it was very, it's very yeah. uh, groundlings. It's very Shakespearean in that sense. You know, like you have your pack of rabble, mm -hmm. and you have your people in the fancy seats, and somehow they all get along. I mean, I'm I'm cool with all of it. I I don't like being distracted and annoyed, and mm -hmm. but. I had an usher experience this week that was more annoying than anybody in the audience ever. It wasn't horrible, but, you know, a bunch of ushers left during the last number of uh, Eric Friedlander's set on Friday night, you know, to man their positions. Mm -hmm. And it was premature, and it ruined it for me. But, right. you know, it happens, right? I'm not going to stop going out because right. a guy walked in front of me. Life is just a whole bunch of things waiting to go wrong. Yeah, Mary Lou and, and, and we're we're you know we're not really here to democratize art. We're really here to get people to feel like they can make their choice. They can be at the center of it. They can be part. They're not here to be witnesses. They're here to participate. They need to choose their participation. And I think in terms of um, creating a scene. That's the other thing that the festival does. When, when we create themes or filters, if you will, for other people to enter in, we're actually looking to celebrate what's already great here in our community. I mean, if you look at our ideas speakers this year, Jack is not the only locally based speaker on mm -hmm. that roster. Carl Zimmer lives here, Nicholas Davidal lives here. We've got some serious scenes happening in New mm -hmm. Haven that the festival gets to celebrate on a national stage. So I think, um, I think we've got a lot to point to here in New Haven. All right, we're going to grab a quick break here. We're going to rotate some guests out, bring some new ones in, and then the ones we rotate out, they'll come back. So if you're attached to anybody, don't worry. Uh, there'll be no permanent <laughs> loss. Um, Will, uh, as we get ready to go, do you have some transformational-sounding music just to play us out with? Sure. All right, here we go.
Will Holzhauser, ladies and gentlemen. Big hand. We're live from the study, the lobby of the study, the fabulous hotel in downtown New Haven on Chapel Street. This is all part of the International Festival of Pancakes, Arts, and Ideas. And I'll say the name right at some point. But um, So with us uh, still, uh, writer Jack Hitt. John Collins is with us now. He's the artistic director for the Elevator Repair Service. They don't actually repair elevators, so if you have a need for that, call someone else. Adele Myers is a, a New Haven-based choreographer and the artistic director of Adele Myers and Dancers. Gorman Bouchard, filmmaker, still with us. Uh, as I say, we're going to rotate people around here. At some point, uh, Will Holzhauser, who is the accordion player for Regina Carter, who will be performing here tonight at the festival, will have Will play something uh, longer than 30 seconds. We can see I keep making him do these little these little bursts. Um, so, um, first of all, Adele Myers, I'm going to get you to sort of uh, get us going into this segment. Uh, we were talking about technology and then, therefore, implicitly science uh, before. And I know that y you guys, your troupe is working on something Einstein-related. Yes, it's um, Adele Myers and Dancers. We are performing Einstein's Happiest Thought. Mm -hmm. And uh, the performance was inspired by a quote by Einstein, which was, there came to me the happiest thought of my life when I considered an observer in free fall. There exists for him no gravitational field. So I thought it was very interesting to think about an observer in free fall in terms of live performance. Mm -hmm. Is it the person in the seat watching or is it the person falling watching the world go by? Mm -hmm. And that very much was something we related to. And so it's more of a point of departure really, on, and thinking about the different ways that we experience the same amount of time and space and how that is perceived differently, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also harnessing sort of that state of anticipation. So perhaps before the fall itself, you anticipate the moment of the risk. Mm -hmm. Just how, like just now when they were counting us in, yeah. 10, 9, and all of a sudden my heart starts beating. And I'm really? just like, wow, what's going on here? Ah, this is that sense of anticipation and mm -hmm. something that can be harnessed in such a palpable way live. Whereas it just got me thinking about, and with technology, this particular work, can you feel that sense of anticipation on the film? I don't know, but live you can certainly have that sensibility. So. Well, it's, it's also, it seems appropriate, too, because, I mean, part of Einstein, I, I understand so little about Einstein that I'm about to pretend that I do. Um, but Einstein basically gives us gravity in four dimensions, you know? So it seems kind of appropriate that dancers would somehow or other try. And also, the theory of relativity, mm -hmm. I think, turns 100 next year. Talk about something that we need a festival for, Jack. How would you stage a relativity <laughs> festival? I think it's all of us who pretend like right. we know anything about right. relativity. It's probably underway somewhere, is somebody's uh, theory of, of relativity. I also, the, the quote that I pulled up from Einstein uh, was, the only physical theories we are willing to accept are the beautiful ones, which seems mm -hmm. to you know, fit into the notion of, uh, of aesthetics and art and... Yeah, and I also, I mean, I think one thing that I enjoyed in our research about Einstein was his uh, sense of wit and wonder, mm -hmm. right? And how that also led him to think uh, beyond necessarily what's right in front of him. And, and often he would refer to daydreams as thought experiments. Mm -hmm. And so that's something mm -hmm. that we pulled into the work via film. Yeah. Right, so it wasn't live. How do you make this moment exist at the same time, but mm -hmm. not necessarily in the same reality? Um, and in terms of the aesthetics, certainly within the work that we have, it's um, 
Uh, we're working with a filmmaker, composer Josh Quillen, who is also with the um, Soap Percussion Ensemble, mm -hmm. and uh, visual artist and lighting designer Kathy Couch, who creates this exquisite visual scene. Mm -hmm. So it becomes sort of a kinetic aesthetic, but also sensational, meaning the people in the audience, you're feeling a sensation of anticipation as this work transforms from one place to another. All right, now we're going to hear a little bit about uh, what um, our other guest uh, is up to, and then uh, Jack Hitt and Gorman will tie the two things together. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so John Collins, Artistic Director for, for Elevator Repair Service. Your show is called Arguendo. Yes. Uh, tell us about this. Uh, Arguendo is a, is a staging, a verbatim staging of uh, a Supreme Court oral argument from 1991. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a case uh, about nude dancing. So dancing already a theme. See, we've yep, got. There you go. Um, and we've already been talking about nudity. So nudity is already. Well. See, and, and it I, is. It all comes I, together. I guess in that sense, uh, our, our our show is unsafe, yeah. uh, like Chautauqua. Uh, yeah. so just a warning there. Um, no, the I've been a, a sort of uh, a Supreme Court junkie for a while, and mm. I'm obsessed with oral argument in particular, and the and the theater of it, but also the way tells you about the way the Supreme Court thinks. Uh, and this particular case I stumbled on uh, several years ago, and I can't really remember how I found it. It was just in my collection of downloaded audio of oral argument. Uh, it, uh, I love yeah. that you have a collection yeah, of downloaded oral argument for the Supreme <laughs> my, Court. My secret That's is on out. Your playlist. Yeah. Yep, it is. And as a matter of fact, I have a playlist called SCOTUS. So, um, <laughs> but uh, this was a case that I loved because, I mean, for a bunch of reasons, one of which was just that it, it, was, it was so funny, it was so fun to listen to. The, the justices have uh, terrific senses of humor, and it's kind of an absurd case because it was a, a case about whether or not these erotic dancers in Indiana had a First Amendment right to dance completely naked, uh, despite uh, an Indiana statute that required them to wear pasties and G-strings. And this is what the case came down to, and it's known in legal circles as the pasties and g-strings case. Um, so it, it's it's a case that had a kind of absurdity to it, and, and a lot of humor, but it also really spoke to me as a as an experimental theater maker because it was exploring questions, and the justices are trying to explore questions of whether or not something is uh, is conduct or expression. And as an experimental theater maker, I've, I've wrestled with that question a lot myself, just uh, trying to find the boundaries between something that is a planned performance and something that's just happening in mm -hmm. front of an audience. Do you have, like, the characters of the justices? I mean, are, do we have, like, is we Clarence do. Thomas, like, a long silence? Well, 91, <laughs> so we, we, we would have Clarence Thomas. Well, yeah, we, no, it was just before Clarence just Thomas. Just before Clarence? Okay. Oh, um, although, as it turns out, the only justice who does not speak in this oral argument is, is his predecessor. So... Uh, Justice Marshall, so uh, he's, he's there in spirit in that there is some silence there. Um, but no, you do have great characters there in, in Justice Scalia and uh, Justice White. Just The only two justices that are still on the court now that were a part of this case are uh, Scalia and Kennedy. And it turns out they, have, they provide some of the best theater of the whole case. Just Supreme Court justice is saying pasties a lot. Is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and we, you know, and just so people understand, uh, we we take great liberties in in interpreting the visual part uh, of this case because oral argument is something you is not broadcast. You can only see it if you go there live. 
So we took advantage of the fact that our main source was audio and, uh, and we created a kind of movement piece around it. Uh, the justices in our court are all on rolling chairs. There's a great deal of choreography and, and eventually the whole thing devolves into something like what they've been talking about throughout the entire case. <laughs> and that's as much as you're willing to say at this time. I don't want to give away too much. Exactly. It's, not, it's not safe, though, I will say that. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just, can I confess I'm also a Supreme Court uh, junkie, and I also go to oral arguments whenever I'm in D.C., yeah. and I totally recommend it. If you're just there, mm -hmm. if they're showing, uh, if there's an oral argument, just go. Some of the great pageantry you'll yeah, ever see. it's and, exciting. Uh, 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 do, you know the, do you know the anecdote about, um, uh, you know, back in the old days, because of... Um, uh, uh, one of the justices who was it who who said that you know uh, uh, um, porn is you know I know it when I see it. Yeah, Potter Stewart. Potter Stewart. Yeah, you're talking about obscenity. And, uh, I think supposedly yeah. you know they would have to go screen these movies from yes. time to time, and 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 during one of them some horrible scene happens, and Thurgood Marshall, whose sense of humor is underrated by every historian, <laughs> supposedly sat in the back and he said. I know it when I see it, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are great stories about the, in, in some of the obscenity cases, uh, the justices sitting in the basement mm -hmm. of the Supreme Court watching porn together, <laughs> just because it was part of the record. American democracy. Yep. <laughs> all right, Gorman, can you tie all this together for me? <laughs> no, no, but I was going to say, why don't you promote yourself? When is your play running? There we go. Uh, Those are good things to do. It starts uh, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow night. Uh, and the, ve the venue for Sunday. you is where? Where are you at? Uh, we're at Yale Rep. Yeah. Um, I actually am working on an opera about Sonia Sotomayor, so yeah. um, I just think there's going to be a lot of this. She uh, she came to see the show. Actually. Did she really? Yeah. She. So and you've had it. Is she yes. the only Supreme Court justice? No, uh, Justice Ginsburg as well. Really? Uh, when we performed for a month in Washington D.C. Yeah. It, that was an incredible thrill. Uh, justice Ginsburg came first, and then she told Justice Sotomayor about it, and then she came a few days later. Uh, and now, actually, uh, Justice Ginsburg, although she wasn't on the court for this case, she appears in an epilogue in, in our show. And we have an actress who is a great doppelganger for mm. Justice Ginsburg. And, and when we met her, she invited us to her chambers, and mm. uh, we thought we'd bring her a gift. And so, you know, Justice Ginsburg wears these beautiful collars. Mm -hmm. Uh, and which she talks about, or mm. we portray her talking about in the show. And you gave her a matching G-string. <laughs> no. We no. did not give her a G-string. Supreme Court pasties. We did Thank give God. her. We did give her the collar that our actress wears in the show, and she wore it in court the next day. So that was an incredible thrill. So you really got to hang with these people. We we were hanging well, with Justice Sotomayor and Justice with Ginsburg. Scotus. Yeah. Uh, did, that, did you reach out at all to Kennedy or Scalia to see if they wanted to play themselves? We, <laughs> we did actually send invitations to all of the yeah. justices, but those were the two we heard from. Kennedy was the naked guy in Chautauqua, just to round <laughs> things out a little bit. So he's, he's done theater, uh, <laughs> and, and he's, you know, he's taking every risk he, he possibly can right now. So um, isn't that an amazing thing, though, when, the, when there's the person in the audience... Uh, I, I was at uh, a production by The Civilians. The Civilians is this amazing kind of theater. You know them. They're, in, do, they're yeah. in New York. And one of the things they do is they'll go and they'll investigate something and collect a lot of testimony or collect a lot of sort of audio people talking about it. And then they'll build these things that are musicals. You know, they write songs out of just found audio of people talking about things. And so they went to Colorado Springs because they wanted to do something about a very, very Christian town. They just so happened to pick the time that the Ted Haggard thing happened. It all broke in Colorado Springs. So they were there working on essentially a musical about Ted Haggard without really <laughs> having planned to do it. And they did it in New York at the Vineyard Theater. And 
I was just talking to the building manager. You know, I said, what if Ted Haggard ever came in? They said, oh, he did. One night, they suddenly realized that Ted Haggard was sitting out in the audience <laughs> watching someone sing songs about him and his meth and his, you know. We've had a few experiences like that. One of the lawyers who, uh, the lawyer who argues the case for the state of Indiana in our, in our show, he came to see the show in Chicago. Yeah. So that was, you know, these things are always kind of thrilling and terrifying at the same time. Has Einstein showed up for this thing yet? <laughs> you're doing? Yeah, no, no. He's, uh, he's there at every moment, actually. <laughs> he's our dramaturg. <laughs> I would expect, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break here. I think maybe before we go to break, yeah, we can do this. It'll screw the clock up a little bit. But let's have, let's have Will play. Give us a full-length thing, Will. Um, first of all, it's Will Holzhauser. Am I saying your name right? Yes. Uh, all right. Perfect. So Will Holzhauser, he's the, um, the, he's the accordionist for, uh, for the Regina Carter Group. They are playing tonight. You can still get tickets at the International Festival of Pancakes, Arts, and Ideas. Uh, and so give us, yeah, give us instead of a, a little segue here, give us a full-length thing to take us out of this segment. What's this called? This is a tune I wrote called Spring Thing. Spring Thing. Thank you. 
Well, this is embarrassing. I thought it was the Festival of Art and IDs, so I brought a driver's license and a major credit card, which raises the question, which ones are the minor credit cards? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Brittany Hill and Allison Ehrenreich. Greg Hill appeared in the introduction and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by Hugh Grant. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff slow dancing with goats, visit WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, our salute to the pencil. And now, back to Colin. All right, we're back. We're live at the study, the beautiful lobby of the study on uh, Chapel Street in New Haven. Let's give a big hand for the people of the study who do such a great job. They always... This is a great place to do a show. I'm also very eager to keep on their good side because we're actually coming back here on Friday <laughs> to do another show. We'll be live from the Yale Writers Conference. Uh, with a, we're actually going to do The Nose, our regular Friday show, but we're going to do it with writers from the Yale Writers Conference, so we'll tell you all about that when the time comes. I just did something really bad on my iPad, so I'm going to have to use my brain instead. Um, God forbid. God forbid. So we're talking a little bit here. This is all part of the, um, Yale, uh, the New Haven International Festival of Pancake Arts and Ideas. Uh, and... Uh, and we also, I just want to also do a major thank you to our house band, uh, Will Hilshauser, who, who's the accordionist for uh, Regina Carter. See her tonight. You'll, you'll probably hear him one more time before we, before we get out of here. Uh, so, uh, you know, John, what, you were talking before about that whole question that sort of comes up in the Supreme Court case mm -hmm. about the blur, what constitutes performance and what constitutes things that are just happening. Um, and to me, I just see that all the time in, in performance these days, yeah. that people who stage things are trying to question that or question the rigidity of that boundary. Yeah, I think what's happening is that these days you have a lot of makers of live performance who are really trying to claim live performance as a completely unique medium uh, as a way of, say, setting ourselves apart from film uh, or, you know, other media that other reproduced media like you find on the internet or on television. And so to, to test that question of, you know, what does liveness mean and, and, and where, what are its ambiguities, I think is a way of makers of live performance asserting the importance and the necessity of liveness that way. And Adele, that's going to be an issue for you, too. I mean, it's an issue for anybody. To what degree is the audience just the audience? To what degree are the performers just the performer? Mm -hmm. To what degree is there some kind of membrane between the two? Well, I think uh, for Einstein's happiest thought, I thought a lot about uh, people who would be the observers. And I thought of them as participant observers without moving in their seats at all, right? And so they're having a connection to something that is happening on the stage. They're having a literal physical reaction, not a bad one, <laughs> but a physical sense of anticipation. So they are invested in that moment. And it's, what's great about live performance is what is happening is what is exactly happening, right? There's no way you can turn back the time, especially with the ephemerality of live performance. And that sense of collectivity and the chemistry of everybody in the room will never be the same again. And so there, there's something about that live winging it. You're all doing it together. You're all in the same room. And I think that chemistry is something uh, for me that becomes the heart of live performance. That, you know, that, by the way, is the most alarming way in which my brain is being changed by digital life, that I have to remind myself that I, that I won't be able to rewind something that's happening right now, <laughs> that, that yeah. things pass by me forever. You know? Well, it's and funny because on the way them. here, yeah. I was thinking, oh, wow, so a live moment in a mic on a live radio, like what if I just start singing? Go like ahead. A country song. I got an accordion player. Okay, ready? For, you. <laughs> for real? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I stumble out of bed and tumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition, long and stretching, trying to come to life. That's a country song. Well, it's the one I know. <laughs> that whenever a, I have a mic, for some reason singer. I sing it. It's a country singer. You know? And then it brings Barton. up this southern thing yeah. that we have here. Well, that's right. We have a lot of southerners sitting here. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been to Saturday Night Live in the audience? Because, you know, they actually, they're up high off the ground. Mm. The audience on the ground is fake. Mm. Right? It's oh, the, it's I didn't the know that. They're up there because of this. People like right? me. They think. Yeah, because <laughs> they know. So, so there are people like you who might start singing uh, at any moment. So, but you know, I mean, Jack, I know you and I saw these paper bullets, and, and also I saw the incredible Midsummer Night's Dream by the Bristol Old Vic, which is also at this festival. And, and I think increasingly people are messing around or maybe trying, I think you would say, to get back to a point where the whole question of when the performance begins is a little bit more up in the air. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I th as I was saying, I, th I think it's a recent sort of invention, this idea of a completely polite, button-down audience that comes in, the lights go down, and mm -hmm. then we have this performance, and then we go out and critique it later and have yeah. this sort of disengaged thing. I remember when I first saw Noises Off, I don't know if you ever saw that, but when it first came out, you know, these people just start wandering down the aisle, and I thought they were ushers or something. Turned mm -hmm. out the play was starting, and, and right. no one had been told, and all of a sudden we all had to just sort of gather ourselves and realize that, oh, this is, you know, reality has sort of ceased, and now we're in this new space. Right. And, I mean, Chris, they did that, these paper bullets, there's people wandering around in the audience beforehand. Well, the, the Queen included. And the they, Queen, and they, yeah. would, they would pick out audience members and turn them into the Prime Minister and yeah. various... And you, say, you think it's an issue of control, a question of control? Explain what you mean. I, well, I think uh, there's so much going on in the live theater, and there's so many so many control mechanisms now, so many people doing projections, sound design, you could make it a film if you wanted to and have it be mm. a very set piece. And the people who want to remind you that it's live have to work harder than ever, I think. Mm. And one of the best things I, I saw to that was um, the show One Man, Two Governors, which mm. was in Broadway, mm -hmm. on Broadway last year, where there was a whole bit with a, 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 a somebody from the audience coming up and you had no idea that this was a member of the cast mm -hmm. until the very end of a very long act where this person had ended up being doused with foam, fire extinguishers came out, <laughs> uh, you know, a cake was over them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really, you were really feeling horrified for this person. You had no idea. It wasn't in the program, of course. And, and all these tricks, like the yeah. Hedwig revival that's going on now, and there's mm -hmm. scattered programs when you come in mm -hmm. for Hurt Locker the musical. And anything that, anything that makes you feel that you are, you know, like anything can happen, that's actually hard stuff to pull off now because you can make it happen exactly right. the way you want it to. Yeah. And if the audience shuts up, you get away with it. And I don't know that that's, that's not the live theater I want to see. I want to see this, I want to see Arguendo and I want to see a, a swiveling chair that may swivel a little closer to the front of the stage. Although, you know, John, that's also, I mean, talk about a Supreme Court case or a series of them waiting to happen. It's ha impinging the other way in the sense that because of Jack's earlier point that everything that used to be separate is now in a phone in your pocket, and one of those things is a camera and the other thing, another thing, one of those things is a video camera, at any given moment we may be giving a performance without knowing it. Things wind up on YouTube all the time. So yeah. even as we begin to sort of just try to mess with or destroy the barrier between performance and, and just sort of things happening, isn't it being just destroyed from the other direction too? Well, or I fiddled with I it? I suppose, but I mean, that, that's again, that's taking liveness and turning it into something that's going to be exactly the same every time you watch it. Mm -hmm. I think it sort of increases this imperative that we keep trying to find ways of 
of defining that live space. I think that's something that you know theater makers can contribute to, to to the culture now that maybe wasn't so unique, you know, 50 years ago. But now, I, I think I think we're really necessary in a way that maybe but we weren't. Before. The other cool thing about the Supreme Court is that it already is a performance. <laughs> right. Like if you've ever been there, you know that like those two attorneys when they stand up, they know that they have 30 minutes and there it's it's their life that's happening right, right now, and yeah. they are totally practiced and prepared yeah. and ready for theater. Mm -hmm. And same with the nine right. justices, and they prepare, right? They prepare, they prepare speeches, they prepare to be able right. to speak for 30 minutes, and usually Justice Sotomayor is often the first to interrupt. They, get, they barely get, you know, may it please the court out of their mouths before the performance changes. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna have to wrap things up here. I think I'm getting that signal, yes, that signal? Yeah. I got about a minute. First of all, I should thank everybody. Jack Hitt, contributing writer to the New York Times Magazine, author of many books, including most recently, Bunch of Amateurs, A Search for the American Character. Uh, John Collins, artistic director for Elevator Repair Service. Go see Arguendo. Uh, Adele Myers, New Haven-based choreographer and director of Adele Myers and Dancers. Uh, you could absolutely have to go see Einstein's Happiest Thought. Uh, the great Will Holshauser, our house band accordionist for, for Regina Carter. Chris Arnott covers theater for many publications, including the New Haven Independent, Gorman Bouchard is a novelist, screenwriter, filmmaker. Mary Lou Oleski, uh, she's the head honcho uh, here at the festival. Um, and this has been a great conversation. If we had more time. I mean, I think the other question is, what's a performer, too? You know, because like Lil Buck was dancing out in the street for a while, and now he's like dancing with everybody. All right, so uh, do they have music or should Will play them? Will should play some music. Play, get us out of here, Will. Will Holshauser, thanks so much. I'm Kyone Wolf reporting from the International Festival of Pancakes, Arts, and Ideas, where they've converted the healthy nutritional ingredients of a stack of blueberry pancakes into radio waves. I can't believe this actually works.